Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And let's begin this episode by turning to Proverbs 13 and reading verse 22. In Proverbs 13:22, Solomon wrote, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Now, there are generally two different ways of looking at this verse. It can be that Solomon is making the general point that in godly families, wealth is handed down through the generations because the children are wise enough to preserve the principle. On the other hand, the sinner's undisciplined children squander what is bequeathed to them. They consequently have nothing to leave to their children. Another interpretation, and the one I think is more probably correct, is that property unjustly acquired or wickedly used is taken from those who have it and ultimately finds its way into better hands. But what I want to suggest in this episode is that there is something else that can be passed on in a family. There is an inheritance that we can give to our children and to our grandchildren that is far more important and far more satisfying than any amount of wealth that we have. There is an inheritance that can have an effect on the following generations that money and such like can never equal. In a world that judges people on the basis of what they have, for the most part, Christians must give consideration to what we are really leaving to our children and to our children's children. The Bible is so clear that God has always been concerned with the next generation of his children. Part of God's law giving and promise as Israel approached Canaan included not only Israel taking God's law to heart, but helping to assure that their children and grandchildren would as well. In the most familiar passage found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 1 through 9, he told them how this was to be accomplished. Even as I mention these verses, I can imagine that there are those in the listening audience who know what they say anyhow. This is what Moses wrote. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandsons might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. 
and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. At the institution of the Passover feast for Israel, it was done with due concern for the passing on of it to the next generation and the generation after that, and so on and so on. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 25 through 27, we find, And it will come about when you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, that you shall observe this rite. And it will come about when your children will say to you, What does this rite mean to you? That you shall say it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Continuing along that same line, let's consider Joshua chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. The passage says, And Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. And each of you take a stone up on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Thus God took care to provide a visual remembrance to the following generations of his great care for the children of Israel. Consistently we find this concern for the generations that will follow. One more passage I would like to look at before we continue on in our study. Look with me at Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 23 through 25. The passage tells us that in those days I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, half spoken the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. So I contended with them, and cursed them, and struck some of them, and pulled out their hair, and made them swear by God, You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take of their daughters to you for your sons or for yourselves. Nehemiah issued a stunningly stern rebuke to the Jews he found in Judah, who had neglected God's instructions and their own children's teaching until their children could not even speak the language of Judah anymore. It is so abundantly clear that God is concerned about what we are leaving those who follow us. It is clear that God is concerned about our children and our children's children. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever noticed in your personal experience that frequently righteousness and wickedness often seem to run in family lines? Now, obviously, there are exceptions to this. There are times when children choose their own paths, good or bad, and separate themselves entirely from their lineage in terms of conduct and morality. But that sure seems to be the exception rather than the rule. Most children seem inclined to accept the inheritance that their parents leave them morally and spiritually. There are even sayings expressing this general rule. Sayings like, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, or like mother, like daughter, or chip off the old block, and on and on we could go. Let's go to the book of Genesis, where we are almost immediately presented with two main family lines. They are represented by Cain and Abel. One is remembered for murdering his brother, while the other is declared to have been a righteous man in Hebrews 11 and verse 4. Obviously, the literal life of Abel does not proceed very far due to the fact that he was murdered. 
But in Genesis chapter 4, verse 25, we find, And Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For, she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. It's pretty easy to notice a profound difference in the two families from that time forward. The descendants of Cain distinguished themselves in a variety of ways. One built a city, while another is looked upon as the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Still another was noted as the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Yet another was remembered for being the forger of all implements of bronze and iron, and another for being a murderer just like Cain. The last thing that we note about this family is that it came to an end at the flood. In earthly pursuits, his family seemed to have excelled in many ways and passed this trade on down through generations, but there is no mention of a relationship with Jehovah. We can infer nothing else but that they contributed to the increasing wickedness in the world that led to its ultimate destruction by water. However, it is a different picture with the family of Seth. There are no notations of great deeds or accomplishments of an earthly nature. This lineage does, however, produce a godly man who walked with God for a total of 365 years before being taken up by God. This family passed enough respect for Jehovah down through the generations that when the entire world became corrupt, one son of Seth, described as a righteous man, blameless in his time, and as one who walked with God. But Enoch and Noah are not the only spiritual noteworthy individuals in this family line. In the family of Seth that was chosen for the lineage of the Lord Jesus, remember that. The children of this family seem to have had a very good inheritance, an inheritance that truly mattered, left to them from generation to generation. Now understand that I do not mean that every single individual in this line and every succeeding generation was righteous and passed that attitude of righteousness along any more than every individual descended from Cain was completely wicked, but it is most certainly a general truism. There is a much more striking example of wickedness running in family lines that we should look at and take to heart. It is found in 2 Chronicles 22, verses 1 through 4. 2 Chronicles 22, verses 1 through 4. It tells us, Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place, for the band of the men who came with the Arabs to the camp had slain all the older sons. So Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Athaliah, the daughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. Ahaziah is noted for two things, his one-year reign and his wickedness. He was counseled to do evil by his mother and the house of Ahab. Now Ahab was dead by this time, but when we remember that his wife Jezebel still lived and her daughter Athaliah is the mother who counsels Ahaziah, then the picture becomes clear. Thus a man is declared to be wicked because he had been counseled that way by an evil mother and an ungodly and unwicked grandmother. Amaziah surely gave his wicked inheritance, didn't he? He got it. He was king of Judah with all the physical possessions and honors that go with such a position. But we have to ask ourselves, what good did it do him? Do you want to see a real contrast? 
The scriptures speak of another individual who was counseled by his mother and his grandmother. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul wrote of Timothy, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Thus Timothy was declared to be its possessor of a sincere faith and a certain credit for it is given to a faithful mother and a grandmother. Come to think of it, I can't remember a single place in all of Scripture where Timothy's material wealth or lack of it is addressed, but I would say that he had received the most valuable inheritance. I want to read Jeremiah 35, all of it, simply to show that we can have an effect upon generations that follow and to show that God knows and appreciates all those who do. Vicki, would you read that, please? The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, son of Habazaniah, and his brothers, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, the man of God, which was near the chamber of the officials, which was above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. Then I said before the men of the house of the Rechabites, pitchers full of wine and cups. And I said to them, drink wine. But they said, we will not drink wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us saying, you shall not drink wine, you or your sons forever. And you shall not build a house, and you shall not sow seed, and you shall not plant a vineyard or own one. But in tents you shall dwell all your days, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. And we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he commanded us, not to drink wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in. And we do not have vineyard or field or seed. We have only dwelt in tents, and have obeyed, and have done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. But it came about when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against the land, that we said, Come, and let us go to Jerusalem before the army of the Chaldeans, and before the army of the Arameans. So we have dwelt in Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction by listening to my words, declares the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink, to drink wine, are observed. So they do not drink wine to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. But I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not listened to me. Also I have sent to you all my servants the prophets, sending them again and again, saying, Turn now every man from his evil way and amend your deeds, and do not go after other gods to worship them. Then you shall dwell in the land which I have given to you and to your forefathers. But you have not inclined your ear or listened to me. Indeed, the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have observed the command of their father, which he commanded them, but this people has not listened to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I have pronounced against them, because I spoke to them, but they did not listen, and I have called them, but they did not answer. Then Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab your father, kept all his commands, and done according to all that he commanded you, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not lack a man to stand before me always. It should be plain to everyone. We can and we do leave an inheritance for our children and our children's children. We can give them the legacy of a true faith based upon the word of God that served as the foundation for our own lives and can for generations to follow. Or we can, by our words and actions, counsel them to do evil and leave that as an inheritance. Dedication, faithfulness, and obedience to the word of God or a religion of convenience in which I do just what I want to do and no more. You know, my friends, when the stock market closes for good and the T-bills have all matured, all of the annuities and the 401ks don't matter anymore and every bit of insurance has been cashed in, the question that we really must consider is what are we truly leaving our children? Thanks for listening.